God, may we hear your good news and may we do something about it. Amen. There is a lot going on in today's gospel. Crowd following, mountain going, grass sitting, question asking, bread and fish feeding, leftover gathering, sea crossing, boat sailing, storm experiencing, and water walking. This narrative speaks to our most primal experiences of being human, hunger and fear. This narrative also speaks to two main characteristics of God, God's satisfyingly abundant provision and God's intimate presence in the midst of fear. This famous meal, the feeding of the multitude, is the only miracle story told in all four Gospels, and today it kicks off our month-long lectionary bread-based texts we will hear. Jesus had just complained that his opponents did not understand or believe what Moses had written about him. And immediately following, today's scenes not only take place at Passover, one of the great events associated with, pa- with Moses, but the text itself overflows with echoes of the Passover event. Like when Jesus goes up to the mountain, perhaps it's intended to recall that other mountain in Israel's story where Moses met God, And a crowd followed Moses in the wilderness, much like this crowd follows Jesus to the other side of the sea. And events of supernatural feeding and of salvation from the sea are joined together just as the provision of manna in the wilderness and safe crossing through the Red Sea were part of the story of Moses. And Jesus commands that the leftover pieces be gathered up so that nothing is wasted just as Moses commanded. As in the Exodus, God is about to be revealed, and John uses Moses as a reference point for this revelation. Jesus is mightier than Moses. Moses, who spoke with God, received God's name, and saw God's behind. Moses, who brought Israel out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, and led the people through the wilderness to the land of promise, Jesus seems and positions himself as greater than the prophet Moses. The sound of chewing and teeth ripping into crusty barley loaves, the memory similar to the few barley loaves that the prophet Elijah fed 100 people with at Yahweh's invitation and provision so many years prior, could be heard throughout the thousands seated on the grass fists of fish and baskets still being passed around for seconds, physical hunger satiated at this generous gift of dinner. The crowd begins to see Jesus fulfilling Moses' prophecy, and a murmur begins to ripple through the groups on the grass, and a charged electricity is felt as people begin standing up, ready to bring this Moses figure forward as a king that might serve their desires, And Jesus, the wise, introverted extrovert that he was, slips away to the mountain again. Later, the disciples get on the boat, and when they're several miles out, the water gets choppy, and they see Jesus walking on the sea and become terrified. This scene bookends the comparison of Jesus to Moses, and yet, while Moses needed God to part the sea so the Israelites could cross, Jesus comes walking on the very surface of the water, revealing himself to the disciples with the name that God gave to Moses, I am. 
In the midst of this mind-blowing, incredible revelation of God through the person of Jesus in today's gospel, I am struck by how bodily these revelations are and how it is through the meeting of the basic needs of hungry bodies that God was revealed. For many of us, we don't often think about our bodies as connected, if not central, to our faith. Christianity's history with human bodies has been a difficult and negative road. Christian theologians and lay people over the centuries have regarded the body as both friend and enemy, as something to be mastered or controlled, and at worst, as something to be escaped for spiritual salvation. Rather than celebration of the body, Christianity has often made the body a place of guilt and repression through a dualism of body and spirit-mind which has often resulted in alienation and fear. And if you suddenly felt in your body react to that sentence, you know what I mean. The irony of this is that the most significant piece of the Christian narrative is that God became a body, a human body. The world and all of its fleshliness in it was and still is God's home. And Jesus was bodily, kneeling to write in the dirt or weeping at his friend's death. And God in that body was raised from death to life in the resurrection, not of his mind, but his flesh and body. Countless stories in the Gospels depict Jesus addressing the needs of bodies first, knowing that if someone was hungry or in pain or could not use a part of their body, they would be less likely to hear and respond to the generous God love that was being shared by feeding and healing bodies Jesus proclaimed the goodness of flesh and the imago Dei, the image of God in every body he met. There's a genre of liberation theology known as body theology, whose theologians speak of the body as both the site and recipient of revelation, the site of divine becoming. In our good and sacred bodies, we are part of influencing the course of history through the many things we do as God in flesh being the hands and feet of God. And in true liberation theology, until all bodies have been given a place at the table as a source of divine becoming, our work as the body of Christ is not done. Only when women's bodies, gay, lesbian, transgendered bodies, abused bodies, disabled bodies, diseased bodies, aging and elderly bodies, bodies that have suffered addiction, eating disorders, suicide attempts, bodies that are imprisoned, overworked, and when marginalized bodies, when they are heard, only then can the divine truly become. We are, Christianity, we are a faith that has ourselves splashing in water, smearing oil, drinking wine and eating meals together, crossing and kneeling and bowing and peace passing. We have an embodied faith that embraces the gritty stuffness of life and makes meaning. And in the real act of faith, each week we gather here as the body of Christ and we consumed the blessed, broken, and given body. And then we're called to go back out into the world, blessed, broken, and given, to live in our bodies as holders of salvation in the same way that Jesus' body was. This is our central Christ-following identity. We often think that spirituality or God's stuff is out there, disconnected from our very bodily lives. 
as though the God of the universe is busy responding to natural disasters and horrific acts of war and genocide and perhaps does not have time nor interest to be involved in the petty dailiness of our lives. We may find ourselves not bringing our concerns to God for fear of seeming needy over insignificant things. And yet, the revelation of God through Jesus was by providing food for physical hunger. The revelation of God through Jesus was by providing presence in the midst of the storm. You and your life and all of your bodily needs and concerns matter to God. In today's story, everyone ate until they were satisfied and there were 12 baskets of leftover. When the Israelites attempted to store leftover manna, it perished, but here in this story, the abundance Jesus provides remains available. There is enough for you. There is enough for us all. Today's narratives are a significant piece of the author's intent to convey a theophany, a clear manifestation of God to humanity, God's self-revelation, a sign, a window, an icon, revealing the glory of God present in the world through the person of Jesus. And through Jesus, God's concern about and care for bodies and hunger and fear is revealed. So may we recognize the invitation to bring our whole selves to the table of God today, where provision and presence beckon us to be fed and filled with all the fullness of God and strengthened with power through God's spirit, knowing the extravagant love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And from the table, may we go forth revealing God's heart in the world. Amen.